Welcome to Why Not Both. This podcast is about the way that our multiple passions inform our identity. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I'm a musician, therapist, and tutor living in Los Angeles. Each week, I interview people about the ways that the multiple things they love inform who they are as people. You can learn more about this podcast as well as our guests on our website, which is wnbpodcast.com. You can also find us on social media, such as Instagram or Twitter, under the handle WNBThePodcast. Thank you so much for your support. It really helps us out when you like and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. So not only do you get the latest episodes, but other people can see us as well. Thank you again, and I really hope you enjoyed this week's interview. So, CG, welcome to Why Not Both. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yay! So I would love to ask you to introduce yourself to our guests so that they know who you are and what it is you do. Sure. Um, I'm Gigi Angle. I'm a certified sex coach and sexologist, and mostly I'm a writer, and I write about sexuality and women's health, and teach a lot about sex ed and sexuality, and I'm just really into all that kind of pervert stuff. Yay! I was like, that would be a great thing to have on the top of a resume, like, professional pervert. I've thought about it. I've thought about having it on, like, business cards. Oh my god. Well, John Waters would definitely approve. I mean, gotta do it. <laughs> I generally ask my guests this question as well. Is there a better question to ask than what do you do? Like, is there a question that you would prefer to be asked? I mean, not really. I guess what do you do is pretty standard. Um, do you want me to answer it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I think that I sometimes ask that question, well, by sometimes I mean like every podcast, uh, because sometimes people end up defining themselves by what they do for money, like in Western society, and other people define themselves by what they're passionate about, and sometimes it's the same Well, for me, those two things are the same, so I'm very blessed, hashtag blessed in that way. Um, Writing is like my biggest passion, and that's kind of how I got into sexuality and journalism, so... Um, luckily my job every day is like very closely linked to what I love to do. Mm. So it's very, it's the same for me, what I do and who I am. Is, is that ever, is that ever difficult that it's the same thing or are there ever times when you're like, I wish I could peace out and be like an underwater macrame or not really. I mean, my, my biggest challenge isn't so much like that I get annoyed that like i do what I love all the time and it's also linked to my income it's more like feeling like I need to always be doing more like I you know got a job writing um about sexuality when I was just out of college and then I was like oh I want to be at a bigger website and then I got a book deal and I was like okay that's pretty cool but now I want like a second book deal like I'm such an asshole (laughs) why can't I just be like happy with what I have and then I got certified as like a sexologist and I was like well now I need to be a therapist so now I'm like looking at like going back to school and becoming a therapist and I'm like what am I fucking doing (laughs) how dare you want more for your life it's just like really weird like how I always like I set these goals and I'm like okay as soon as I get there I'm so I'm gonna be 
stoked. I mean, that's where I'm going to be. And then I get there and I'm like, this isn't good enough. I decide it now. <laughs> I'm like, I never even take a minute to like enjoy it. I'm just like, okay, and what's next? What's next? What's next? Because yeah, that that is like, it's a weird double-edged sword doing things that you are passionate about because then like, it's only sometimes, I don't know if this happens to you, but it's only when someone outside of me points out that I've accomplished something that I will pause and acknowledge it. And so it's a new skill for me. I feel like my first reaction when somebody points out that I've done something cool is to be like, oh no, that's not that big of a deal. Or like, oh, that wasn't that, that wasn't a big deal. Or that's not that, that's nothing. And right. then, yeah. you know, I remember being like 21 years old and being like, oh my God, if I could just be of one article published on the internet, I would be a superstar. I would never right. ask for anything again. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's addictive that I just like choked on air, even trying to say like, I celebrate my own accomplishments. My throat's like, no, 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 you can't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, no. It's yeah, and it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that constant, yeah, that's striving for more because you do think that you're going to be happy when you get the next thing within your field and then you get the next thing and you're like, oh, I'm still me. Okay. Yeah, for me it's, as well, it's like a lot of what I do is like linked to like social media and followers and all that audience shit. And yeah. so if I, I'm like afraid if I slow down for one second, I'll just be irrelevant. Yeah, like that definitely that kind of dovetails with a question that I had had for other guests of like the time and effort that you put into things and how you let that define your interests and your passions. And it is really hard with a constant, both like the surveillance of social media, but then also like almost the fake construct of time that it puts around us. Oh yeah. And I mean, I've, I've almost become like, I, I really don't like, so don't love social media. I love attention. <laughs> So like, um, I'm like the two things are kind of linked and inextricably linked, right? But like, I find myself spending like so much time on Instagram, like checking to see who's liking my photos and how many likes I got, and like seeing rewatching my. Okay, I do this like really crazy thing, and I like I hope I'm not the only person who does this, but I probably am like in a minority. I watch my story like all the time, like multiple times a day. <laughs> Like, over and over again. Like, my own story. Like, what do I think I'm going to see? Oh, I was talking. Let me just watch it again. Let me just, like, see what I was doing yesterday. It's like, I was there. I, I was talking to, oh, man. I was like, I just realized I talked to so many people for various contexts. I'm like, what context was it? Am I repeating myself on my own podcast? I was talking to someone about how I'll throw my phone into airplane mode without the Wi-Fi when I'm working on creative projects. But then I definitely will, like, out of sheer desperation of my own tech addiction, scroll through, like, my own photographs in my photo roll as though I wasn't the one that took said photographs. Oh, I absolutely do that. I do that on planes. Like, when I don't have Wi-Fi, I'm, like, so desperate to be on my phone that I'm, like, scrolling through my albums. Uh-huh. And I, like, make it, I, like, take my, my photos and I'll be, like, scrolling through them and then I'll start creating sort of, like, not like unneeded albums inside of my phone so that I am doing something and organizing something. It's like totally fucking bananas, dude. Yeah. What we were talking about was that like technology has basically advanced faster than our brains. 
really actually know how to keep up with. So our brains are scrambling to like organize this in some way that makes us feel good and makes the world make sense. And it results in like making nested photo albums on airplane mode. My brain is like an Instagram omelet. Like the internet has scrambled my marbles. (laughs) I'm like, oh God, it's too real. It is. It's like five real. It's literally Baudrillard might argue it's five real. Um, How does that end up? Because, like, having that relationship with social media, like, it is critical in sharing your work, but then how do you, how do you refocus on your work? Like, how do you deal with that? I mean, my work comes first, really. When I try to post, I have, like, specific times of the day where I'll, like, post a photo, um, which was at the, uh, I can't remember which one, it was either my agent or my publicist, someone, told me I was supposed to be posting, like, at three times a day or twice a day or something. And it like stuck with me. So I've just been, I just stick to that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I do, my Instagram is like, there's very few, there's only I think every third photo is like a personal picture. So it's like, I just have to find a movie meme or find like a, or write like a funny thing on a white background. Mm-hmm. Like for like the pattern I've created. Cause I'm crazy. <laughs> um, so it's really not like that much effort. And so, like, I have to do like, I, really focus try to focus on my work first but then it's like it's like so hard not to like write a paragraph and then go on Instagram for like five minutes or something yep yeah uh, I try to focus my creative energy as much on I kind of think my work has most of my has almost all of my creative energy in my Instagram and social media is just like what's left over Well, and it sounds like it's almost an extension of it because I was curious to almost kind of rewind and ask you what the main topics that you write about within sexuality are because like for people listening, like thankfully I've, I've had the opportunity now to interview people who do so many different things. And then I realized, wait, we should explain what these things are (laughs) to people who are listening and might be like, I, I'm not a writer of sexuality. And so I'm like, okay, what do you, I mean, uh, within sexuality, like I, I run a pretty wide, I throw a pretty wide, wide net as far as topics go. But I'd say for like the most part, like my readers and are women, mm-hmm. uh, and I write a lot about um, a lot about like sexual concerns, like questions that a lot of people have that they are kind of afraid to ask anyone else, like about low libido and like porn usage and like. Uh, I was gonna say sex drive as if that were not like a thing, the same thing as a libido. <laughs> like, um, you know, anatomy questions and sort of like a it's kind of, it's really a wide net, but a lot of it's like based on emails and questions that I get from readers that are like their secret shame. Like even though I read letters that are like they seem so minor to me because I'm so used to it, but like they're clearly asking me these questions like from a place of like a deep fear of judgment and that's kind of like where I my whole shtick is like normalizing human sexuality into like everyday conversation yay I am I'm very into that because what you said that was interesting like it's stuck in my brain that you said like for a lot of these people it's like this like secret shame and I was curious if that also tied into your work as like a sex coach and a sex expert and why you'd want to go into sex therapy, because it sounds like, like bringing that shame to light, like I'm, I'm 
big into the Brene Brown recently. Um, she's, she's so great. I'm like, Brene, notice me. Um, but yeah, like all of her work on shame and vulnerability ties into a lot of my clinical work as a therapist. And so I'm just like, Ooh, is that what pinged in your brain that you're like, okay, if I help people with the shame of this, then we can actually like be vulnerable about what the issues are and talk about them frankly and help people accept parts of themselves and become more knowledgeable. Yeah. I mean, as far, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it as far as like becoming a therapist. I mean, I have thought about it, but like, as far as my writing goes and like my column and advice column, it's like people write the letters to me, like knowing I'm an advice columnist. So like they know their public, their personal information will be removed and that it'll probably, it may be used as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's kind of like my contribution and many advice columnists contribution is like taking letters that are real people's questions, like not exposing them in a way that would like harm them personally, but mm-hmm. kind of like opens up a bigger dialogue because it's probably a common, it's a more, probably more common and it probably will resonate with someone more than they realize. Right. Because people spend so much time on the internet and are so, are searching for things that they're like, why am I feeling this way? Or like, why is my life like this? Or why can't I have an orgasm or what's going on? And then when you like, you know, you read a letter like that and you get like, and read an honest response, it's like, oh, I'm not weird. I'm not like a crazy person for feeling this way. And I think that that's reassuring. Yeah. So my reading isn't about like exposing anyone's secret shame, but sort of like leveling everybody's shame so that we can all feel better about it. Yeah. Cause there's a difference between like exposing shame versus revealing shame in order to normalize what's underneath it and then dispelling whatever the problem is that's going on underneath it. Yeah, exactly. It's not like for, um, it's not just for like the likes and the people reading it. It's like for people reading it and then being like, Oh, this makes sense to me. Cause I have felt that or experienced that. Yeah, because I think that I was wondering, like, do patterns emerge in the in the emails that you get? Like, are there like a cluster of concerns or does it like come in waves? Are there things that are tied to like other media that people end up being concerned about? I think there's there's definitely like common themes like around people's concerns around pornography or partners use of pornography, like concern about I wrote a few articles a while back about uh, like being a woman with a really high sex drive and I've gotten lots and lots of emails about from women who are like I've like I experienced this like uh, my partner makes me feel like I'm crazy for having this high sex drive and like you know stuff like that and I think one of the most like astounding things like throughout my years of doing this is that no matter how many times I write about a topic or try to normalize something it's like it can be a little discouraging because I keep getting the same letters mm. and it's like it's it's like, it's like, it's like almost like can feel like my advice or my, my attempts to normalize these things are falling on deaf ears because like, I'll get like a convert, I'll write a bunch of stuff about porn or like masturbation and how it's normal. And then I'll get in a letter from a reader. That's like, why is my partner masturbating when we have regular sex? And I'm like, what are you like? How are you asking me this? You're like, did you read the other articles? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of a snippy bitch as it is. So it's like, it takes, it definitely takes a little self-control for me to not be like, are you fucking kidding me asking me this right now? Reference article <laughs> 112. Uh, <laughs> well, and also it sounds like sometimes maybe the people who are reading the articles are the people who are inquiring, but the people who actually need to read the articles might in fact be the people's partners. 
um, like hearing, you know, that it's like the women who are experiencing high sex drives and they're being shamed by their partners. I'm like, are they in hetero partnerships? Are they talking to their partners about this? Are they, I'm like, I'm already the like clinician in me as I'm like, Oh, tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it definitely varies. I think for the most part, it's like, because there are these societal pressures in place, especially with the sex drive thing where it's like men aren't supposed to like want to talk about it. And like the immediate response is to be defensive and is like, demonize a woman in a heterosexual relationship for admonish her for having the higher sex drive instead of just being like people have higher sex drives and it's like I'm normal and you're normal because people just don't know that right so and once you know you've talked to your partner about it and they're like no like you're a crazy like wanton sex beast like you're really weird like you're not going to want to talk about it again so at that point that's usually when I get a letter being like I don't know what to do right right and do you feel, how does it feel being in that role of being kind of the receiver of these letters and getting to write about it? I mean, it's like an honor in a way, because it's like being trusted with that kind of information. And also it's, uh, it feels like a lot of responsibility mm. because, um, you know, what you said, and you know this as a therapist, like what you say to somebody can like really alter the way they feel about themselves or can really like fuck them up. Mm-hmm. So, like, you don't want to say the wrong thing. So, like, I try to be as, like, diplomatic as possible and offer a lot of, like, resources and reading material and that kind of thing. So I'm not just giving my opinion, but it's, like, here's... I mean, a lot of time I'm giving my my opinion, but I also... I mean, I give my opinion most of the time. It's an advice column. But uh, <laughs> it's also, like, here's, like, here's this article and, like, here's this article and, like, here's some other stuff you can read so that you can understand like how this works and you know like I give them like book recommendations like for sex drive stuff like I love recommending Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski um yeah I love her like you know she's and like she talks about the dual control model and like the uh responsive responsive and reactive desire and I think that that stuff's like really helpful for women because even when I read that book like when I like whenever it came out I was there was still there was stuff in there where I was like fuck like I never knew that yeah yeah and it it speaks to I'm like I'm gonna link to everything in the episode description and on my website so we can link to your stuff we can also link to this book I really quite like it as a human and a clinician because it gives words to concepts that I knew existed but it's phrased in an elegant and concise way that you're like oh now I can hand this book to someone or like quote from this book about what responsive desire is. And it makes sense as opposed to just being like, Oh, I don't know. It feels nice when people like me. And then I remember I like people. It's like, yeah. no, that sounds. <laughs> I mean, I love like reading books. Like one of the things to go back, like how it feels to have people write, write those letters to me. It's like, it's also a little overwhelming because I find like, cause because human sexuality is so complex and I'm learning new things all the time. And there's stuff that I never even thought of sometimes that you like read about in a book and then you're like, Oh fuck, I never thought of that. And so when I'm giving someone advice, it's like a, also like questioning myself and like wondering if I'm like missing something or like forgetting something that they really need to know. And like, that can be a little bit intimidating. But, um, you know, I just do my best. 
And I have to, at the end of the day, like, try to remember, even though I'm not good at this, I have to try to remember, like, that I am just one person and I'm not going to, like, write a letter to somebody and, like, change their entire life forever, probably. So I should just right. do my best <laughs> and give them the information I can. That's the best you can do. Like, I definitely, I, I feel that vibe strongly where being in a position of potential influence as a therapist, as an artist where you're like, okay, it's going to make an impact, big or small, maybe on someone who I'm interacting with and being responsible about what that impact is, but also knowing that like the world's a weird place and sometimes things are outside of your control, especially the way that people take things. Like you can only control what you put out into the world. So you're like, okay, I'm just gonna do my best and hopefully not lie awake at night at 4 a.m. looking at memes to assuage my anxiety. Not that that happens frequently. Yeah, I mean, it's, definitely um a lot you know like man ain't easy how does that tie into your work as actually coaching people like I'm curious about that too I was just like oh that that pinged in my brain like what do you do in that aspect of your life um I mean when I'm coaching clients it's like a it's a just a very different dynamic I feel like because it's like not just one person writing one letter and then you respond um but with coaching, it's a lot more like proactive. And I feel like I get to know those people on like a fundamental level so much better. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, it's kind of been a while since I've had an actual client because I'm moving back and forth from Chicago to London now, like really frequently. And oh. so I haven't been able to get a, on a reliable schedule. And I don't want to put somebody in a position where I have to like cancel on them. That so um, I'm definitely going to dive more back into the clinical practice like when I'm in one when I move to London and I'm actually like in one place and can devote that kind of time because it's so much it's so much more complex I feel like you're much more responsible for a person's overall sexual well-being as a coach or a, a therapist or a sexologist than you are like for an advice letter yeah and I feel like a lot of people have misconceptions around sex coaching and around sex therapy. Like I interviewed uh, my friend Mo on I think that was episode three. Um, she's a sex therapist in Los Angeles, and she and I talked about her work, and we joked about, you know, like people have all sorts of wacky ideas about what you do as a sex coach and therapist. So I'm like, please dispel some myths. Say what you actually do. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people still, a lot of people, like, really a, kind of an alarming amount of people still think I'm a, a sex worker. I don't have any problem with sex workers. Like, I have many sex worker friends and have tons of respect for them. But it's like, they don't, people don't know the difference between what I do and a sex worker. Yeah. So, it, and that to me, it's not the sex work part. It's just like the, why don't you understand this? It's not that hard, like, concept, because people just don't get it. Right, right. And so it's like, yeah. I, I was thinking about the same thing where it's like, sex work, awesome. Sex coaching, awesome. Same thing, no. Very different. Different words. <laughs> different <laughs> different concepts. Um, what do people usually come to you for when they're looking for a sex coach? Um, I mean, usually they're coming with a pretty specific problem, or not so much problem, but like a concern or a, an issue they're having in their sex life, like whether it be, you know, they're having trouble with uh, low libido or um, they're not really sure like where a relationship is going or they've never had an orgasm, something pretty specific to start. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then it can kind of like develop from there. So with sex coaching, it's not like therapy where you are dealing with a lot of like background and like upbringing and uh, that kind of thing. It's much more like future oriented and uh, action plan making to kind of get people where they want to be in their sex lives. Mm. Um, And sometimes, you know, people come to me who they want coaching but they're not what they, they don't need coaching. They need therapy. Got it. Um, Got it. So I'm like, okay, that's totally fine. Like, and, so, and I'm like, that's fine. Like I have to, I have to understand that like they don't know. So I have a, you know, a big referral uh, network. That's really good for that kind of thing. And like, maybe they don't need, maybe they need a sex coach, but they also need like therapy in tandem. So I also, that can be a way to do it. And also sometimes they want, you know, touch-based coaching which I don't do uh mm-hmm. sexological body working but I know a lot of people who do so I'm able to refer people out for that kind of stuff so it's just kind of like not only knowing like figuring out what you can do best to serve them but also understanding your own limits within what you do in your practice and to collaborate with other people I think that's really important what you said that you're like well sometimes they actually need therapy sometimes they need therapy in tandem sometimes they actually want a different service than you offer That's the thing I actually really like about working in sexuality. It's like, I think because like working in sexuality and like any capacity really is so stigmatized. Like even if you're like a therapist or a doctor, like people are like, or or a doctor, you're a therapist, you are a doctor, but you know, like they're even, they're like, wait, are you a dominatrix? And they're like, no, it's not what that is. But like, I think because the whole, because everything is everyone in who works in sexuality has that kind of like weird sex shame thing. Yes. Like we all, at least in my experience, I've noticed like there's a lot more interdisciplinary sharing and collaboration. Yes. Um, which I really appreciate because we all do different things and bring different things to the field. And it's, we're not serving anybody by like closing ourselves off and like the therapist only talking to therapists and coaches only talking to coaches and like writers only talking to writers. It's like, that doesn't really help anybody. No, no. Then everyone gets like, Oh, wow, that was a really obscure metaphor. My brain was like, everyone gets a tesserae instead of a mosaic. And then I was like, why, why, does, why does my brain do this? <laughs> I'm constantly making, like, weird references to, like, uh, like, authors or books that, like, people haven't read or would not know what that is. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, I'm like, this is fine. I'm just flashing back to AP art history class. This is normal. Um I'm curious how it features in your self-definition then, since you do work in sexuality, like, is there ever any bleed over into then your personal life when you try and explain to people what you do, like when you meet them? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty open about it at this point. Like, I don't have any shame about what I do. And my family is really supportive. And my fiance is extremely supportive and, like, is obsessed with what I do. And I mean, he and I got together when my career was already very much in stride. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's kind of just like a part of who I am. And it's nice, you know, like my sisters and close friends like come to me with their relationship and sex questions and, um, you know, feel comfortable asking me those, asking me those questions. and like, no, I won't judge them. And right. everybody gets a vibrator. So it's like, everyone wins. <laughs> like the Oprah vibrators like you get a vibrator and you get a vibrator my family and friends call me the vibrator fairy because I give everybody vibrators (laughs) 
My mom has more vibrators than like she knows what to do with at this point. I just imagine you carrying around like a knapsack of vibrators at all times. I mean, I'm lots of fun to have at bachelorette parties because I do bring a giant box of sex toys. I outdo everybody's gifts. It's amazing. How did you discover that this was like what you wanted to make your profession? Like it definitely sounds like you're passionate about it, but I'm like, how did you make the jump from like, this is something that I'm really into to like, this is what my professional life is going to be. I mean, I was always a writer and I always knew I wanted to be, so I like was, I majored in journalism and I wanted to be a journalist and I still am of course. And I wanted to just write about lifestyle stuff. I just want to write about things that were relatable. And when I started at my first job, um, there we were really lacking in sex content. And I just love writing about sex and like love being outrageous and like writing ridiculous things. Like one of the first articles I wrote um, was like, can you change like the way your vagina tastes by like your vulva tastes and vagina, like by eating different foods? And I was like, obviously the answer is like, no, it's like, all about, like lifestyle, but like the, best part about the article was I got to write I guess my dreams of having a champagne flavored pussy are dead <laughs> and like my and like it was just and I, I, wanted, I loved my first job because like I wrote about sex and like my editors were so chill and like did not give a fuck what I said the only time I was ever censored was when I wrote I referred to my pussy as a hair pie and my editor was like no I wonder why they were okay with champagne, but not with hair pie. I think it was just like my editor I was sitting with her while she was editing it, like at her computer. And she just goes, did you, this says hair pie. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I didn't think we had a line, but I think we've found it. Can we find <laughs> like an alternative way to say this? And I was like, I guess, whatever. like what about that phrase would set someone off but I'm like that I guess it's just like gross I was like okay yeah that's really funny yes like moist and hairy like whatever I I thought about it I was like you know what all right like that's fine it it is pretty because I used to kind of kind of push push her a little bit my editor at my first job I would like kind of see what I could get away with and like how how far I could go before they were like no you're really yeah. like, no, this is not, this is not the way. <laughs> I think that would be hair pie. Like I had such, I had such a no filter and so few uh, limitations on what I could say <laughs> that I like would just kind of like throw shit at the wall and see if something stuck. That actually, that reminds me a bit of um, my guest Lucian who writes role-playing games currently. Oh, but so Oh Yeah. And he, he was informed by his studies as uh, getting his master's degree in religion and his role as the lead singer and writer for the trans punk band Schmeckel. And so he is of a very I've similar... I've heard of that band. Oh my gosh. They, they ha- are not still technically in existence, but record of them does exist, as do their records, and they're fantastic. Yeah, I've definitely uh-huh. heard of that. Maybe I'm... No, I feel like I have heard of that. I'm like, I was going to say maybe I'm thinking of something else, but I don't think so. They're a very specific band, and they are very beloved in my heart. And his philosophy in life is very similar, where, like, he defines himself as a funny, creative person. And it's just like, I'm going to do that in so many formats and see what connects with people and what sticks. I really relate with that. Like, I kind of just identify myself as, like, a weird sex pervert who kind of likes to be a 
as out there as possible and kind of use myself as like the fil the sort of like barometer for other people to to hold their own sexual convictions against because or their own shame against because it's like look what I'm doing just you're fine <laughs> how does it feel to be that person where like people can look at you and be like oh well she's doing that I think I'm okay I honestly just like have never really given a fuck so it's like I'm fine with it. Like there are times, you know, like where it can be a little bit, I wouldn't say like overwhelming, but like kind of exhausting to be like so on and have be such a big personality all the time can be, can mm -hmm. be a lot, even for, for with me where it comes pretty naturally. Mm -hmm. And that can be like, it can have its own set of challenges where I'm like, oh wow, that's it's just exhausting. Like being, it's almost like exhausting being my biggest self as much as I am, as much as I have to be. Mm. I was um, going to say, because does it ever feel like, does it ever feel performative after a while, where even though it is a part of yourself after a while, you're like, can I just maybe be like the face mask pervert or the like, I just need a snack right now pervert? <laughs> um, I, mean, I feel like it's not so much about the sex. It's about the being, being the pervert of anything it's like the being the the wild crazy person in any context can be that it that energy is what's exhausting I, it's not so much like the sex aspect it's just like the constantly being on right right do people ever are they ever surprised if they encounter you and you're kind of like just in off mode people don't really encounter me that way i'm pretty careful about it i mean my my fiance calls it calls my crazy wild shit he calls it like the um he calls it public Gigi mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which he did not make up because that would be kind of rude I <laughs> I I made, I made it up I called it like public Gigi where I was just like being my like exuberant like life of the party self mm -hmm. and I think I'm like much more mellow when we're alone together because like I don't have to put on airs or be like a because like when I'm, because I'm like this fucking crazy bitch on Instagram, right? And I'm constantly writing about sex shit and like being like champagne flavored pussies, blah. And so like, <laughs> it's like it's a lot. So, um, so um, you know, I'm like I'm not constantly doing that, just like on my as much like public interaction as I can. I try to not burn myself out by committing myself to too much. I guess is the way I would say it. Because it sounds uh, like you, when you are public facing, you do want to be that person because like that person is like the person you're really passionate about and expressing. But there are also times when you're like, I just want to be a, a chill person. But that, you know, it might be less inspiring to see a chill person talking about sexuality. You might be like, oh, it's another chill person. Maybe we'll have some tea. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I even find like with the chill people, like I'm still... I'm still being like big. <laughs> well, it's good to know your strengths. Like, I feel like thinking about what we were talking about with socials and like with media, it's like, it sounds like you have figured out how to express yourself really well and find a good audience for it by emphasizing those parts of yourself that are authentic. Like, it's not like you're making this stuff up. Like, that's really you. But you can't be like you at a thousand watts all the time. Cause that would be stressful and weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot, you know. But it's like, what are you gonna do? 
Well, and also it's interesting that you had said uh, at the very beginning, you were saying that you're like, yeah, I'm really lucky that I got to actually make an income based on my passion. Cause that's something that's come up with a lot of my guests of like the whole issue of how people deal with having their identity, like their passions be separate from their job. And have you ever had to work a job other than a writing job or a job that was in the field of sexuality? Like, have you ever had another job that you were like, eh, this is just a day job? I mean, yeah. I mean, not really. I've been very fortunate in that, like, when I graduated from college, I kind of got to work in a media company right away. My first job out of college wasn't, like, writing right away. I was working at the company where I ended up writing about sex, but I was doing a lot of... um, I was like searching the internet for like <laughs> like trending news, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that was like my whole job. Like I would do that all day. And it was so fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, what do people like to read about on the internet or does it does it change? It was, I was like, looking for like tra- like actual like hard news and it was so uh-huh. fucking boring. And I would have to like go on all these different websites like all day and check to see if they had like added new stuff. And then if it was, I don't even fucking know what I was doing. I would be like, oh, like this is news. And then like I had this editor who would have to tell me if it like was worth writing about. And then if it, and then I have to wait for them to say yes or no. And if they said yes, I would like send it to who was supposed to like write a a thing about it. It was so fucking lame. That sucked so much. It was like so mind numbing. It made me want to shoot myself. Um, but eventually I just like really, really hung in there and was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm just going to hang in there and hopefully it'll just work out. (laughs) And I I ended up like writing a bunch of articles. Like I wrote a bunch of articles, uh, at night that I would be able to, uh, eventually show people that I was getting the likes and the views and all of that stuff that I needed to be able to be on a, to have a staff writing position. Got it. So it sounds like you were able to kind of like coast by in that job, but that you were actually writing at night so that you could be like, no, this is, this is legit what I want to do. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Cause yeah, that, that job does sound mind numbing and especially it sounds more reactive than proactive, which like from what you said in this conversation, you seem to be a much more like proactive person. Yeah, that's what it was kind of like, and it was really frustrating because I really wanted to be a writer more than anything in the world. And all I saw were people who were, who were writing, um, the stories that I wanted to be writing. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was fucking stressful. So yeah, so I would like watch these people giving, doing basically a job that I wanted to do and I'd be sending them articles like I wanted to write up and it was really frustrating. Luckily it didn't take that long for me to move. I mean, it kind of, it felt like it was a fucking century, but in realistically it was only like a year. Uh Um, But I was writing a lot on the side and like that it was it was kind of cool because it wasn't that hard to break into it. Like I was writing a lot. They told me I could write for the site when I started working there, and I was like, okay, so I would do it kind of on my free time. Mm-hmm. And then I would, uh, we had like a calendar where you had your like main big articles, I guess. And I got like a spot on the calendar, which was very exciting. Hey. Um, yeah, and then eventually I just I became the sex writer, or one of I mean the other people wrote about sex and dating too, but 
my main thing was like writing about sex and it was really, yeah, it was really cool. And then I worked at a different company very briefly, but I, they laid off their half their editorial stuff kind of overnight in this weird kind of bloodbath situation. Yeah. And I was kind of like, Oh, I'll figure out. Um, and then I got, I got my book deal like a couple of weeks later, like a month later, which was really random and cool. Wow. Um, yeah. And I had, I had gotten laid off and I was freaking out and I was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? I have a full-time job. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try the freelance thing and see how it goes. And if like in three months I'm not making good money, like I'll, or like money I can live on, I will like go and get a full-time job again. But it ended up just kind of working out and it's been pretty chill ever since. I mean, some months are better than others, but I'm kind of waiting for everything to like blow up in my face, but I'm going to like try to be positive. Well, and that was actually going to be my next question was like, how did you transition? And that sounds like you gave yourself a reasonable on-ramp to be like, okay, I will try this for three months and see what happens. Because I think that to be in a freelance position, you do have to be pretty self-driven. Like you do have to be pretty on the ball and follow opportunities and pitch different things because it's not like people are just going to like be like, oh, a sex writer we'll all flock to you. You're the only one. Um, and so I was just like, that seems like it matches your temperament too, to like be pitching things and finding things. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really, I hadn't really tried it until I was doing it. And then I was just kind of like, Oh, this isn't really that hard. I mean, it's, it can be challenging, but I've, I've found that there, when it comes to sexuality, like there's always something new and there's always like interesting takes on it. And also like, one there's I'll be writing about you know something for one site and then I'll be like oh this would actually also be a good fit for this other site so it's not like the same article obviously because that would not be chill but right. it's like I, I can cross pollinate with topics which is I think actually a good thing because like I write a totally separate article but that way the information is in two different places and more people have access to it so I actually think that really works out really well well and that goes with spreading the message of like dispelling shame and giving knowledge to people I'm like that makes total sense like, I am on board with that. And I'm curious now, I'm like, what's your book? I'm like, you got a book deal, which logically means there's a book. Is there a book? Yeah. No, there's no book. It's just a book deal. Just a deal. <laughs> uh, it's, it's called All the Fucking Mistakes, and it's coming out in January. It's kind of, it's a, a guide to sex, life, and love, but it's, like, also driven by, like, my anecdotes from my wild past which doesn't seem like so wild now that like I've reread some of this some of it but at the time it felt very very crazy <laughs> well I yeah and to some people they might read it and go oh whatever and other people might be like oh my god what there's definitely gonna be people who read it who are like ew what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> the words Harry and but when I was rereading it like having lived as much life of and I guess like I'm 28 it's like not that much life but like as living having lived more life than I did when I first wrote it. I'm like, oh yeah, this isn't that bad. You're like, I made it out the other side. We're all good. I mean, I definitely was like a like wildly out of control teenager, but like kind of in like a funny way. <laughs> like um, when I was like 21 and looking back at the, those like few years behind, I was like, oh my God, why was I like that? And now I like look back and I'm like, that's actually really funny. <laughs> You, I don't know if you're like me and still have some of your journals from oh when God, all of the journals. 
Boy, is that a treasure trove right oh there. Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> yes. And then for a while, like before, like right, well, actually for a while, actually even after I started working at Elise Daily, like I had a blog called Cigars and Jewelry and like fun story. It was like one of those like really shitty WordPress blogs and it still exists to this day because I insist on having that thing like memorialized so people can see it. It is... <laughs> It is a fucking treat. It is so horrifying and like so fucking bad. And I like clearly thought I was being like super deep. Yes. And like being like really like emotional and like connecting with people, like my deep ass writing. And it is so fucking bad. It's like riddled with grammatical errors and spelling mistakes. It's like the <laughs> stories are so stupid. And I'm just like, what? Like, why did I do this? And like, I, ugh, I thought I was being so cool. I was like giving all my ex-boyfriends like colors as their code names. Yes. Oh, so dumb. Oh, but also it's like really funny because like I don't see any point in me trying to hide it because it's like, I may as well just like own it and people can can see it and just see how far I've come. Cause I'm not, one of my biggest things is like, I'm just like not trying to hide anything. It's like, yeah, I've written some embarrassing things. There are a couple of articles on Elite Daily that I've written that are like so embarrassing. And I'm like, why did I do this? Like I wrote this stupid article. Like, I, don't, I think I was just like, like we had to write a certain amount a week and I was like out of ideas. And so I wrote this like article, which doesn't even have anything to do with sex. But I wrote this weird article where it's like, you know that, you know that like, pose people do in photos where they put their and I do it it's like where people put your elbow forward to make your arm look skinnier yes <laughs> yeah I wrote this like I wrote this like I don't know what I was like I was like on one this day I wrote like a whole like fucking diatribe about how it was like the most insecure thing you could do and how like no one should do it in photos and it was like so fucking stupid <laughs> like I wrote <laughs> I wrote like 900 words about this and I was like I can't even look at it like I tried to reread it once I was like I can't I can't do this this is like this is so bad oh my god and oh and yeah there's, there's like I mean it's like kind of my whole thing is like all that stuff is like memorialized on the internet and like thank god some of my journal most of my journals are like handwritten from before this time but I'm kind of like you know a lot of my journal shit is like on the internet and I just kind of have to accept that as part of my journey yeah, yeah like yeah. I've done a lot since then and that should be like it's, I'm, it's like a part of who I am and I hope it's like an example I can show people. It's like, look, we were all a fucking mess when we were like in our 20s. And like most of us, myself included, are kind of a mess now. And that's fine. Cause like nobody knows what the fuck they're doing and no one has their shit together at all. I think that that's the key element right there is that we all have mortifying things from when we were teenagers. We've all written or created something that when we were creating it, that we we're like, okay, I'm deep. I'm basically the human equivalent of a clove cigarette um that no you're not you, I, you have <laughs> links to cigars and jewelry on the on the show notes so people can see it because like I like people need to see that it's so fucking bad I was weirdly with a friend from from high school and college last night who was like visiting me in London and I had my fiance pull up the blog because he'd never seen it and he like read one post and like he wouldn't even comment anything <laughs> was so bad that he was like afraid I'd get mad if he was like this is the worst thing I've ever read in my entire life so he was just like wouldn't he like wouldn't even comment I even brought it up today and he just was like dead silent but like oh, kind of yeah. a little bit because like we both know it's so bad 
and holding holding on to that and knowing that like you're now a sex coach and writer yeah i mean i keep paying for the domain like it's live like i that thing lives on it was it's a part of my past and deleting it isn't going to make it really go away because like people have seen it people know what it is i've talked about it a million times it just is what it is and it's like look i was 20 whatever 21 22 whatever when i was writing that and it's like terrible and that's all that's all i have to say because like what what am i gonna say about that and sometimes it's important to create terrible stuff because, like, creating that, like, terrible cringe-inducing stuff is the stuff that led you to then create not terrible cringe-inducing stuff. But it's almost like if you don't create that stuff first or somewhere along the way, it's going to come out at a weird time anyway. So it's yeah. like, why not get it over with? <laughs> why not? It'll stop you from creating if you're afraid that what you're making now is, like, going to be cringeworthy if you don't make it, it's not going to lead to better stuff. So I'm just like, I kind of accept that I'll probably look back on a lot of the stuff I'm writing even now and be like, that's such, that's horrid. I don't know what I was thinking writing that. But it just kind of, it's like, I'm I'm just a fucking human, you know? It's like, whatever. Yeah, you're gonna, it, there are definitely, there are demos of songs that I have listened to that I recorded in my attic in college that I'm like, well, I guess those are sounds that a person could make. Uh, <laughs> oh god songs like speaking of songs like the horrible poetry I used to like write in my wretched journals like good thing none of that's on cigars and jewelry so that would actually that would actually have to get deleted I was looking at an old journal that I found in my room and it was like it was had all of these like wretched poems that were so bad and like pseudo angsty oh yeah oh yeah there's if, you know, upon my passing, if anyone chooses to read my journals, you're in for a really painfully awkward emotive ride. Yeah, it's like, I'm really sorry, but also you're welcome. Exactly. It's exactly. like, thank you, and I love you, but no thank you, and I hate you. <laughs> and I think that that's important for people to know now that you're in a position where you're just like, yeah, my book's coming out in January, yeah. I'm a professional writer to know that all of us have this. I, I don't think I know any artists or writers who do not have something artistically in their past that they're like, oh, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah, like that people was- are always talking about artists like early work and like how it evolved. And I'm like, look, like my early work is fucking trash, but like you take from it from what you want. Yeah. And it's like, you can only go up from there. like and people have like tried I've seen I'll get like a random because I don't really get notifications for the blog but occasionally someone will find it and like comment something like ridiculous and I'm like what do you want me to do man like sorry dude they'll be like I can't believe you would write this or like you call yourself a sex educator and I'm like girl like that post was from like 2015 like or like 2014 like let's relax well and also like you said like you're an educator but you also are invested in educating yourself so I think that it's actually important well this I was gonna say this is my opinion but of course it's my opinion because I'm the one talking um (laughs) like when I was like I give my advice sometimes like in my advice articles and I was like no Uh, like this is this is not, not, not of me um but yeah, I'm of the opinion that it's important to show you learning as well when you're in the position of 
in a way like in a position of authority because you're positing yourself as an educator to show that educators make mistakes and therapists learn new things and like it would be really false presentation to be like oh no I knew this all along I'm perfect I'm fine I of course knew this and it's like no, sometimes you said things that were misinformed and sometimes you did say things that were misguided that then you learned and you can show that like, you can show that there can be growth instead of like a fixed mindset. It's not like all of a sudden you come out as this, you know, woke magical being. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, whatever, like we're all just trying to figure it out. I think that that's like a good piece of advice because I was like, one of my questions is like, I ask, you know, what might you tell your younger self or people who are listening? Like, what would you tell them? And it's like, eh, we're all figuring this stuff out. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like, figure it out. Like, don't worry too much about like what other people think about you because like there's always going to be someone who wants to be a dick. Yes. And just like, do your thing, girl. Always going to be the haters. Yeah. How would you recommend that someone get into the field of either writing or sex coaching or both? Like, what would you recommend if someone's like, oh, I'm interested in doing these things? writing I just like I don't even like it was such it's such a it's such a hard thing to like get into now like I if somebody wants to get into like writing it's like start small like offer like try to take people to coffee like editors who you want to like work for but be willing to like write you need to get clips to start. So write for blogs that probably aren't going to pay you or write for smaller companies that don't pay a lot of money and just like be willing to like build yourself up from that. And then once you get a couple of clips, you can start pitching bigger places because you you can show that you're an actual established writer. Right. Um, you do have to put uh, effort into your social media, even if you want to be like one of those people who's like, I'm too cool for this. It's like, sorry, but that's what it is. Like, if you want to get a book deal, you need to show that you have like 50,000 followers, like across your social media platforms for a publishing house to even consider it. Right. So it's like, sorry, it's not based on talent anymore. Like you're not JD Salinger and it's like not the seventies, like, sorry, (laughs) but like, sorry, boo, but that's like not going to happen. So, um, it's like, just kind of seeing it, if you want to be a writer, it's like, you just have to be like really practical about it and understand that it's not just about like your talent as a writer, even though that it's important. It's also about like your personal brand and being willing to learn how to market yourself and like not being shy about it. Cause the whole like shy writer, like secret novelist thing, like is not going to happen. Yeah. No one's going to come knocking down your door because you happen to be a writer. Yeah. It's like, it's not gonna happen. There's everybody's a writer these days. It's like, you have to show that you're different and show that you have like people who listen to you. So that's that. And then if you want to be a sex coach, that's a more like straightforward (laughs) way to do it. (laughs) Again, again, with sex coaching, like getting clients and being out in on the internet is really important. So marketing again is really important and like having a personal website and having really nice business cards and like, Uh, having a strong Instagram following and, you know, constantly updating your shit is like, it's important. And it's part of the whole thing, no matter what you're doing, it's like marketing yourself is, is important. Um, and you want, if you want to get like speaking gigs and like speak at colleges or uh, teach workshops and stuff, like you need to be on the internet, you need to be present and like invested in your brand. So that's that. But like, if you want to actually get certified in sex coaching, like my program that I did was through the world association of sex coaching. And they have like, a program called SCU where like 
taught by Dr. Patty Britton. She's like a brilliant master sex coach queen lady. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obsessed with her. And it's like, it's, it's a pretty straightforward course. I mean, it's, it, I did it in six months. It should, it takes most people like a year to two years. Mm-hmm. I just sort of buckled down and was like, I'm going to do this right now. I was doing like a course every week and like, <laughs> devoting, like, so, like devoting so much time to it. Like crazy. Like I just was like, I'm going to be done with this by August. I will not be done any later than that. I like and, how you're really aggro about learning to be a sex coach. I'm like, yeah, like so. really like crazy about it. I was like, I will not end this summer until I become a sex coach. And I like made myself like do it. But I mean, it was fine. It was really fun. I learned a lot, but it was like, it was a lot to take on, like with my workload, which is how much I was insisting on doing every day. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did it. And it was a really, it's a really good program. So I definitely recommend it. Um, they just updated all of their courses. So it's like, the uh, sort of like reading material and like the movies and like documentaries and stuff that you watch as a part of like supplemental coursework is like much more updated and relevant. Nice. Um, nice. So it's really good. There's so many great books and like the classes are really good. And I learned so much stuff. Like I thought I was like a professional sex educator and I was like, Oh, this should probably go back and get like, get some more like schooling and more, uh, education in this and then I was like taking this whole course and was like oh I never thought of that or I didn't know that and learned so much stuff I was like oh god the stuff I did not know (laughs) oh yeah the classic lesson of oh you didn't know what you didn't know but now you know (laughs) oh god now I don't know what I was thinking so I I really liked that and um yeah so I'm thinking about maybe doing a program in London either for uh psychosexual therapy or psychology something like that but I don't know I kind of like need to take a minute and like actually move to London and stop decide if I want to be if I want to go back to school and become a therapist like because I want to be a therapist or because I want to say I'm a therapist that's a very very big distinction to make in your mind so I highly recommend (laughs) sitting and thinking about that for a while because I want to like get that (laughs) before I'm like here's all my money school yep because that's definitely I mean then that speaks to kind of like even the essence of the podcast the reason why I started is that like I'm a therapist and a musician and like for a while I was like am I a real musician because I'm a therapist am I a real therapist if I'm a musician And it throws your whole idea of identity and purpose into question, or at least it did for me. Um, And so that's definitely a really good thing to think about, where if you're like, yep, I'm a sex coach writer, and then you're like, I'm a therapist, you're like, am I a sex coach writer therapist? Am I a therapist writer sex coach? Am I? (laughs) I feel like the the coach therapist distinction would be easier for me just because I know more people who do that. It's like there's... A lot of, especially being, I don't know about the U.S., but I've done most of my research as far as, like, international certification goes. And, like, if you are going to practice in Europe as a therapist, I don't know if this is true in the U.S. You'd have, you'll have to tell me. Um, you're, like, you're not supposed to write about, like, your personal experiences. Oh, so I don't know how that would, like, A, because my stuff is already on the Internet, but also so much of what I write is based on that. So I'm like, is that it's going to compromise my writing? It's kind of like a a no go. It's more of an ethical concern of like, how much do you feel your client should know about you that would be either helpful or hindering their treatment? So it's like if it's helpful for your client to know that you're a sex educator and like read articles that you've written so they feel comfortable that you can write about sex. Awesome. If your client, on the other hand, is just like, oh, 
this person has the same life experience as me. I relate to their life experiences. If they like over identify with you potentially, like as a person, that might be a hindrance to their therapy because then they'd be more focused on like, oh, all the fun things we have in common. And that's actually more of like a friend relationship um, or like, you know, kind of a audience writer relationship than it is like a therapist relationship because then they already have like a preconceived notion of you. Um, yeah, I, so, yeah. And I mean, it makes total sense. It's just like, I got to think that through, you know? Yeah. And it definitely, I mean, that's why my band name is different than my therapy name. Um, I mean, it's obviously the same person. It would be creepy if I was like, no, I'm like Hannah Montana. It's a different person. Um, but like, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want someone coming to my clinical practice because they'd heard my music or vice versa. But that would be an interesting thing to consider of like, what happens when you do become a therapist? Because then for me, at least in the office, my focus is my client. Like, of course, I bring my personal experience into it, but I only will talk about my personal experience if I check in with my client about it because I think it's clinically relevant to something they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I would ever, or if I, I don't know if I ever, not say ever, but I don't think it would be, like, about me talking about it during a session or with a client, but as much as, like, so much of me is on the internet. Yeah. That, like, they would know stuff by like a Google search very easily. Yeah. And it's like, that could be, I mean, that might be an interesting thing if you are applying to schools to even talk to an advisor about. And I think that that's, that's an important thing for like counselors, for teachers, like anyone that's listening that also has crossover in other fields to be like, how much do you want other people to know about you? And does that impact other parts of your work? Cause that's like a valid, it's a valid concern. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with coaching, it's like, it's so similar to the like advice to the advice column field, I guess, that it's like there people who have come to me for coaching are coming to me as like Gigi Angles, sex expert from the internet. Right. Whereas like if someone were coming to me for ther as a therapist, it would be like a much more private, I really need help in this thing. And like you being a public persona is not really a factor, probably in a good way in a good way anyway and now I'm like I would probably wouldn't want to go to a therapist who was like famous on the internet for talking about her pussy all the time (laughs) and I was like thinking I'm like I'm curious if there are people that like it really would serve them to be inspired by they're like whoa my therapist is talking about champagne pussies maybe there's a niche out there that there's people that are like that's what I need in a therapist. And I'm like, if I'd, I'd have to like figure out if that's, if, if that's possible, because that would be the only, like that would legit be the only possible way. Cause like, I can't undo what has been done. Right. And now I'm like, Oh my God, now we need to have like an interview, like a year or two down the road and be like, what has the evolution been? How have, <laughs> how oh have God, these I, was, I, like, I honestly, I have a lot of clients who like are in therapy wanting to know if they too can have a champagne flavored pussy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cause I was like, you know, I, now I'm genuinely curious. I was just like, cause maybe for some people that might be a boon. Like I know that for yeah. some people that have contacted me, like they've liked that, like I have purple hair sometimes and I do state on my profiles that like I do play music and that I do have a creative life and for some people they're drawn to me because they're like oh I like that you're not one-dimensional I like that you emphasize that like creative life is important and so like in a way it's been like a bonus because I was like well I can't really hide who I am because a simple google search will reveal that like yeah 
that I also have this other part of my life. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to emphasize it. Like my therapy with people isn't going to be about the fact that I'm a musician. That would be weird. But like I'm going to let it add to my personality and add to my business instead of detract from it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I, I haven't actually had a chance to talk to an actual therapist about this. So this has actually been very helpful for me because I'm kind of like, yeah, if I'm going to be a therapist, like it would have to just be as as I am and people would have to make the distinction and in like initial sessions I would just have to suss out if they were like if it was gonna be about their and their journey rather than like them wanting to know like Gigi Angle from the internet (laughs) yes yes and you definitely I would describe it this way like you get that vibe really early on if someone is excited because you're the purple-haired weirdo or if someone's like I really think you can help me and it's a different vibe um and so you can pick that up pretty fast and I have chosen to refer out people where I get the vibe that they're like oh my god you look so cool and I'm like I am really cool let me give you some referrals (laughs) yeah yeah your therapy shouldn't be about me being cool like I'm okay I'm I'm okay with my self-concept but like let's work on (laughs) let's work on other things not to say that I sit around thinking about how cool I am that'd be weird um but yeah that's not what like their therapy is about so I'm happy to refer out for that but that is definitely not it is few and far between that I get calls like that and more that people feel comfortable because they see who I am and that makes them feel more inspired that I could help them and I'm like yes okay cool like let's get to the work like let's do it um that's been my experience at least I mean I will look into it and if I end up becoming a therapist we'll see how it goes because it could be cool yeah. I feel like it's kind of uncharted territory for a lot of people. It really, it really is. And especially when you're like, okay, I'm going to make an adjacent, what I think is at least like an adjacent shift. Like I became a therapist after tutoring for years and years and years and working with families and I still tutor and I love it. Um, but I was like, gosh, I help families so much and I help teenagers so much and people just tell me stuff anyway. Why don't I become a therapist? And I thought about it kind of casually in that way. And then it all of a sudden, like, quickly spiraled into being like, who am I? What is my purpose? Floating away into the ether. Um, But, yeah, it seems like it's something that's easy and adjacent. And then you're like, oh, wow. Uh, But then, you know, after a while, you reintegrate. and It's cool. Um, But that is why I started this podcast, is due to that sense of, in a way, disintegration. Of like, oh, there are these things that I thought were similar. They're not actually similar. They're very disparate. Are there other people like me? Um, and that that I started talking to a lot of people and recording my conversations and then posting them for other people to listen to on the internet. Yeah, see, it's like, you you, you know what I'm talking about. You're a therapist with a public image. <laughs> and so, I'm like, yeah, I feel this vibe. Yeah, when you said you had a podcast, I was like, oh, see, you can be a therapist and do this shit. Yep, yep. Like, I think that it's very outmoded, the idea of a therapist is just a very blank slate because they found that that doesn't work because no one's a blank slate, they're a person. Yeah, and also the internet exists, like, sorry. Exactly. I think that the internet is, like, our best friend and worst enemy at the same time, so harness the best friend portion. Uh, Because, yeah, like, when you were talking about, you know, putting yourself out there as a writer, as, you know... As a sex coach, I think that there's a misconception around marketing that all marketing has to be like, 
that you are like, for instance, you are blessed with a big personality. I have a very like time limited big personality and most of my personality involves like books and looking at things that are lavender colored and <laughs> playing with synthesizers for hours on end and not talking to humans. Um, but I found a way to communicate that to people that I feel comfortable with. And so it doesn't like basically expressing your brand as like a writer or as a therapist or as a musician really is about you. And it's about expressing like the particular things that make you a you. Um, and so I think that that's important to know, like to get to those like 50 K followers, find, find the people that are on your weirdo train. That is so true. Good sentiment. <laughs> And yeah, because I was like, I want to, I want to assuage all the fellow introverts out there that like, you can find your fellow weirdos and they aren't going to, they aren't going to encroach upon you and that it's okay to be yourself and express those parts of yourself and that those are the people that should be drawn to your writing and to your therapy and to your music. So they're going to act. You're building yourself on the internet too. It's like, it's kind of an introvert's dream because like, you don't have to talk to anybody. Yeah. It's like pretty just great. Post on Instagram and stop and pretend. Fake it till you make it, man. Yep. Yep. Like I definitely. That's that book deal. I was gonna say I was just like, put yourself out there and get the book deal of your dreams. Like just pretend you have a big personality. Nobody's gonna know you're right posting on Instagram. Exactly, and also like I've seriously posted photos of like my candles, and I'm like, these are my candle friends because it's true. I live alone and have lots of candles. And people are like, oh, I have this kind of candle and I have this kind of scented candle and where'd you get that spell work candle? And like, you just put the stuff that's actually you out there and there are other people that will be like, oh, thank God, I have been waiting for someone to post a silver glitter candle. <laughs> really? I appreciate that. I mean, it's like everybody out there, we're all on the internet just being weird, like whatever, just do your thing and like the people will come, it's fine. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this interview. I'm so excited that I was just like, this is our first time that we got to like actually talk in real time. And I'm like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, this has been very, very chill. I feel like we're old friends just catching up. Exactly. Just catching up publicly on Skype. Wait, it's the only way. And in my world, that's like basically a coffee date. Yay. Well, I've had coffee beside me this whole time that I've sipped at maybe once or twice. So it is. It is a coffee date. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Why Not Both. If you would like to learn more about our guests, such as the one I interviewed today and all of the other people from this past season, you can head over to our website, which is wnbpodcast.com. Please make sure to like and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform so you don't miss any interviews. And if you fancy, leave us a review. Thank you again, and I look forward to chatting with you next week.